This is the FCB Podcast Network. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand with things for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the Hello, Patriots. Welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast, American History for Kids. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. One thing in the Constitution that can be awfully confusing is how we pick a president. It seems like when we go vote for our president, every vote is one vote, and then whoever gets the most votes wins. But our founders knew that that wasn't necessarily the fairest way to do it, and they came up with something called an electoral college. In this episode, we're going to hear all about how it works, why our founders created it, and why it is the fairest way to pick a president. My name is Tara Ross. I'm the author of many books about the Electoral College. Um, Most of them are for adults, but there was one that's for kids also. It's called We Elect a President, the story of our Electoral College. I've done a couple of other kids' books since then about the American Revolution. One is about Revolutionary War heroines. One is um, going to be just about the American Revolution in general. It comes out in November. And so that's what I do. I run a history blog. I am a retired lawyer. And this is way more fun than being a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) I think it probably would be, too. I love digging into history every day. Um, so the Electoral College can be really confusing. It can be, you know, you look at the language in the Constitution, and first of all, it was written 250-odd years ago, and it's, you know, kind of confusing language. But the idea of it is also a little bit hard to understand sometimes. So I wanted to start with a really basic questions. What is an elector and what does a college mean? <laughs> well, it's called the Electoral College, and... That's something that just sort of happened over time. It's not, those are not words that are in the constitution. You will not find them there. And it's not a college, it's not a university, it's not even a school, it's just a group of people. The electors are people who are selected to represent their states in the presidential election process. And that by itself is probably a little confusing because usually when you go to an election, you just cast your own vote. And you know, if you vote for what book to read in class, you're just casting your own vote, right? There's not usually a person who then takes, there's not a, a mid, middle step with somebody else casting a vote. In the presidential election process um, that we have under the constitution, it's different. Instead, we have two different parts for that election. In the first part, people do vote just like you would expect to, your mom and dad or Um, the adults around you, for the kids listening to this podcast, the adults around you are going to go to the polls and they're going to cast their ballots in the presidential election. But they aren't really casting their ballots for the president himself. They're actually casting their ballots for the electors. So the electors are the people who represent the states in the second part of the election. And it's the votes of the electors that decides who's going to be president. Okay, and why is it, why was it, created in that way that it's the states who vote instead of each individual person? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think that we hear so much about how it's not fair unless people just vote for themselves and unless there's a majority of people and the majority wins. 
But our founders who wrote the Constitution, they knew better than that. They knew that if you create a system where just simple votes are cast and a majority wins, there's going to be somebody that's going to be treated really unfairly. The founders set it up so that the states could vote because they understood a lot of dynamics that we don't really understand as well today. Today, we look at our world and everybody tells us, oh, you should get to vote for yourself. Oh, a majority should win. If that's not how it works, then it's not fair. But the founders knew something different. They were looking at the history of so many different countries. And they saw that when you do that, when you just say, okay, the most people, a simple vote, the most people wins, some big groups, like they're not the majority, but they're, but they're still kind of a big group they get treated really unfairly. So as an example, pretend like your class is voting on what book to read, okay? And there's more boys than girls. And every time, all you do is you vote a simple vote, who wants to vote on, you know, which book? And the boys are always picking the books. And they like football books, and they like tractor books, and they like books that the girls don't wanna read. And the teacher doesn't pay attention to the girls because there's more boys and the boys always get the most, and so the boys always win. Now, wouldn't it be better to have a system where the teacher says, you know, the girls are students here too, and so even though they're not the majority, we're gonna work it out. You know, we're gonna take their, their thoughts and their opinions into consideration. We're gonna think about what the girls also want. So the Electoral College is structured in a different sort of way, but the reason it's structured that way is because we want the president to think about everybody. We don't want the president just to say, oh, you people in the big cities, I only care about you. And so the Electoral College, it does look different. And it does, um, sometimes people will not always understand it the first time they hear about it. But that's the reason the founders did it. They did it because they wanted to make sure that everybody is always treated fairly. It kind of, it reminds me of um, that old quote that I think goes back to Benjamin Franklin that, if you just are voting, you know, every person's vote counts for one, um, then it's like two wolves and one sheep voting on what to eat for dinner. Well, the wolves are going to outvote the sheep and eat him for dinner. But in something like an electoral college, the sheep has a voice, too. Right. Yeah, that's a good example that um, that people use sometimes. And it's absolutely true. I mean, you everything about our system is designed to avoid that situation where somebody can be so mean <laughs> and vote for something so terrible. So we have a system where, you know, you do have to get a majority, but you can't get a majority in just one part of the country. You have to spread those majorities around all over the country. So you have people in California and people in Texas and people in Delaware and everybody's voting. And you have to, you have to figure out how to appeal to the interest of as many different kinds of people as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a matter of history, the Electoral College, because of the way it's structured, the presidents who have won by the biggest, biggest margins have been the people who did the best job of saying, oh yeah, you know, these religions, y'all are different, but I'm, I'm listening to all of you. You know, these parts of the country, farmers, teachers, big city, like they do the best job of listening to a whole bunch of different kinds of people. And they those are the ones that win by really big margins. Yeah. And like you said, um, when you have a majority, they can they can decide to do some pretty terrible things to to the other groups. And that made me think of, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln did not win a majority of votes. And we haven't gotten to him yet in our in our story, but 
um, he will go on. He, he wins the majority of the electoral votes, is elected president and ends slavery. But that's not something necessarily that everyone wanted, but the most kinds of people wanted it. Yeah, well, so that was a really interesting election year. Abraham Lincoln wasn't even on the ballot in the southern states. So um, if you lived in the south, you actually couldn't have voted for Abraham Lincoln. I mean, honestly, what I would say, I would probably put it a little bit differently. I think that the election years that are really close, um, what that really means is that there's no party that's doing a good job of building a good coalition. So maybe somebody's doing a little bit better than the others but really nobody's doing a great job. And I think those civil war years were, um, that's what was happening during that time is that there were a lot of Americans that were saying, I'm not gonna listen to you. I don't wanna listen to you. Nobody wanted to listen to anybody else. Everybody thought they were right. And, you know, it's almost like they were walking around with their fingers in their ears, just refusing to listen to anybody. And the electoral college, so the vote was close for several years in a row. And what ends up happening is that one party eventually had to say, okay, it's not working. Not listening to the other people in my country, it's not working. And so I'm going to have to start doing a better job of listening. And um, that did happen. And so by the, by the time you fast forward a few decades, you have first Republicans winning in huge landslides and then Democrats winning in huge landslides. And it's because they were forced to do that. The Electoral College made it so hard for them to stay in that place where they weren't listening to people. Yeah. So you use the word coalition, and that means that they, they have to work together and maybe they don't get, nobody's getting exactly what they want, but they're getting something that the most people can live with and then more voters choose them. Right. So, you know, the people who have probably done this the best in our country's history, I'll name one Democrat and one Republican, FDR, Franklin uh, D. Roosevelt, and Ronald Reagan. And not coincidentally, <laughs> those two have the biggest march. I mean, both of those men got everybody except for, I think for FDR, it was two states, Maine and Vermont. And for Reagan, it was, uh, it was Minnesota, I think, and D.C. didn't, you know, all of the rest of the states voted for FDR and all of the rest of the states voted for Ronald Reagan. And that's because they did such a good job of saying, no, I'm not, I'm going to listen to more than just the people who are already like me. You know, Ronald Reagan could have said, I'm from California. I'm just going to listen to people from California. I think California is the best. I'm going to do what California wants. But that's not what he did. He went to all of the rest of the states in the union. He spent time listening to people, learning about people. Um, there was, I quote this guy in one of my books, but there was a, a, just a, an ordinary, you know, citizen that was being interviewed on the streets of San Antonio. And he basically said, you know, it's not like he's just, it's like, he's not just a Californian. He's an American. Mm. He's just an American. And you know, you forget almost that which state he came from. You forget which state Franklin D. Roosevelt came from because they did such a good job of just reaching out to so many different kinds of Americans. And at the end of the day, isn't it way more fair for a president to be, you know, listening to everybody and to trying to take everybody's needs and considerations or needs and wants into consideration? Or is it more fair just to say, well, one time the most people voted for that guy, like mm -hmm. the boys in the class who voted for the book. Mm -hmm. It's more fair to listen to everybody. Absolutely. And 
I think it's also important to mention that the states with the with more people do still get more electoral votes. So there's some there is a little piece of the you know the bigger states have a little more weight mm -hmm. to them, um, which was kind of a nice compromise between between ideas when they were determining how to elect a president. That's a good point. So we don't want to go so far in the other direction that we say, yeah, Rhode Island can boss around California, <laughs> even though Rhode Island's so much smaller. So the founders looked for a way to even it out. They wanted to help the small states some. So maybe if a bunch of small states get together, they can do a lot more, but they didn't want to give the small states everything either, because that would be weird. <laughs> so um, in the end, every state, the number of electors that you have, every state automatically has two electors. No matter what, if you could have one person living in the state, you'd still get two electors. And that's the same as the Senate, where everybody gets two senators, no matter what, you automatically get two. And then the rest of it is all based on population. And they just divide the rest of the electors up that way. Yeah. So this, you know, it can be kind of a confusing thing to think about. And, you know, like you said, when when the adults around you go to to vote, you think that maybe they're they're voting directly. And it seems like that's how elections usually work. But is this something, is there anything like this in other parts of the world? Or do other, in other countries, do people just go and vote and whoever gets the most votes wins? I mean, I think probably what is the most like it is the is some of the systems where you go vote for your member of parliament. Okay, like in England, you would, if you were an adult living in England, you would go vote for your representative in parliament. And then those representatives are the ones that actually elect the prime minister. There's not a direct vote for prime minister. So that's pretty similar. And, and you know, indeed, sometimes if you look at the individual votes of who's voting for the members of parliament, then the, it, the majority there doesn't always match up with who ends up being the prime minister. And that's because they also are looking for a way to, I'll use that big word again, coalitions, <laughs> to, to bring people together, to try to take into account a variety of interests. Where, where can we find a place that we agree, even if we disagree on some of this other stuff? And so, so that's probably the answer to your question. There's nothing exactly like it, but there are things that are similar in a way and that and definitely have similar goals. You know, in a country like Britain, you they have, well, in America, we're used to two parties. There's usually Republicans and Democrats, and you know that one of them is going to win, even though there are other parties. But in you know, a country like Britain, there are more parties that all have a chance. And even in American history, there have been times when there were multiple parties, and maybe there will be again in the future in America. So I think another thing that I like about the Electoral College is that, like you said, people have to build coalitions, and they have to work together. Because you can end up with a with the people divided in so many directions that somebody gets more votes than anybody else, but it's not the most mm -hmm. people in the country voting for them. I worded that right. <laughs> right. So actually, a really good example of that is a place like France. In France, they, they have so many candidates in the election. We we are used, like you said, we're used to two major candidates, and that's what it is. But in France, you could have ten, you could have twelve, and so somebody gets the most. But the most might be like 19% of the people. And then what happens is they go to a runoff between the person that got 19% and the person that got 17%. Literally, the numbers are that low sometimes. And so, you know, that's not really a good situation either. How would you feel if you lived in France and you're an adult in France and you have to vote and your choices are 
someone that was rejected by 80% of the people and someone that was rejected by 81% of the people, <laughs> yeah. because that's what that means when those numbers work out that way. And so, you know, in fact, people in France were so upset with this situation uh, several years ago, they're allowed to cast a blank ballot and it's kind of a protest vote. And there were like record numbers of protest ballots. And they, they basically said, I don't like my choices. <laughs> so, you know, in, in America with the Electoral College, you know, some people will probably say to me right now, well, but I don't like the Republican and I don't like the Democrat. <laughs> well, what I would say to that is we have a system that tries to prevent what is happening in France. Okay, but at the same time, if you are a third party in America, you do have more of a say than it might seem like when you first look at it. Um, I'm going to use the example of the 1992 election. There was um, Bill Clinton versus George Bush. There was a third party that year, Ross Perot, and he actually he was getting a fair number of people. Um, I'm thinking it was like 18 or 19 percent of the individual vote is what he ended up getting. But he didn't get any electors. Now, some people might say, well, that's not fair. But what actually happened after the election, both the Republicans and the Democrats realized we are messing up because the third party should not be able to get that many votes. And the Democrats were afraid that they had lost more votes to Ross Perot, but the Republicans were afraid they'd lost more votes to Ross Perot. And to this day, nobody agrees. Who did he really hurt the most? Nobody knows. But both Republicans and Democrats said, we cannot let Ross Perot do that again or anybody like him. And so both Republicans and the Democrats worked on ways to address the concerns of those people who felt like they had to go vote for Ross Perot. And they were mostly financial, economic, budget kind of concerns. And both Republicans and the Democrats did things to fix it. So when the next election came around, they presented a better, uh, better solutions to try to cure that problem. So I would argue that while we have two parties in America, the third party system, I mean, when a third party comes and a lot of people are getting really upset, they can actually have a really positive influence. Yeah, that is, that's very important to, to mention. So um, I think that gives us a really good overview of how the Electoral College works and what it does to keep everything as fair as possible in a country so big and so diverse. Our founding fathers did it because we were big and diverse. And since then, you know, we were only 13, 13 little states then. We've gotten so much bigger. And really, for the most part, it still works. Yes, absolutely. I, and I love that point. The founders thought 13 states was too big and too diverse mm -hmm. for a normal election system. And now we're 50, of course, and just so many more people and so many more different types of concerns that are um, that, that people are worried about all across this nation. And so, you know, I think one other point I would make about why the founders created the Electoral College is because they knew that people are not perfect. They knew that people mess up. They knew that people can get greedy. They knew that people like power, you know, like they, if you think about, um, one example I give in my kid's book is, you know, every kid out there, you probably know that kid, as soon as the teacher leaves the room, they're going to start causing trouble or they're going to boss the other kids around or they're going to they're going to be they're going to be trouble. Right. So think of the Constitution and think of the Electoral College like a teacher that is in the room. Just keep making sure that the bossy kind of power hungry people don't get to have their way all the time. 
that is a great way to look at it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you loved this episode and learned something about the Electoral College. I know it can be kind of a confusing system, but it really is genius. Remember, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Growing Patriots, or visit growingpatriots.com for more about the podcast and to find our books. Can't wait to see you next time. They freed us all from tyranny. Wished everything for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the This has been a presentation of the FCB Podcast Network, where real talk lives. Visit us online at fcbpodcasts.com.